Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Jackson on High FM on Finding Human program. My guest today is Philip Veyers, and we will discuss our, our connection in a moment. Our topic is comfort in connection. We're on Skype. Uh, you might hear a few odd noises, but I just wanted to also thank so many of you who sent in messages concerned about my safety last week because my alarm went off. But I can reassure you, thank goodness, everything was fine, and thank you so much for your messages of encouragement. Um, thank you to DJ Flo, Craig, and Vusi for keeping me on air and for keeping Philip on air. And Phil is right here with us. Phil, you know, within lockdown, I found that I have needed connections. I think because of the isolation, I have begun exploring a lot more of my past and a lot of my friends have also and sort of seeking connections. Well, you and I are connected. So would you like to tell our listeners how? Because we have new listeners all the time. Hello, Sue. Welcome, Sue. Some years ago, um, I was invited to, in 2017, in fact, I was invited by Peter Bailey, who is a, a friend of a quarter of a century, um, to visit Israel and do some talks about the connection between Jan Smuts and the Balfour Declaration with it being, at the time, the centenary of the Balfour Declaration. And this went out on a, uh, on a website, and a very charming and delightful lady by the name of Sue Jackson, resident in Johannesburg, sent Peter a mail and said, well, this is all very interesting because her uncle was Yannis Mats Jr., the Obas's son. And tell and, us who you are. Um, I'm, I'm a great-grandson. <laughs> Which by, as the name would suggest, yeah, as the name would suggest, I have a great in front of my name, which, uh, my, or my, my heritage, which uh, the grandchildren don't. So I'm one up on them. Uh. I'm being great, they're not. But Peter then sent me this mail and it's fresh in my mind because I dug it out, oh, last week and I sent your original mail and Peter's back to me. Um, I was sent back to Peter who said, you Remember this. And he said to me, would you like to respond? And I sent you a mail and I said, now this is all very interesting because if Yannis Smuts was your uncle, um, so was he mine. And in fact, his wife Daphne was my godmother. And you came back and said, well, Daphne is your mom's sister. So it turned out that I had um, a long lost cousin staying just down the road across the Yerkeskay River, across the Burra Wars Curtain. <laughs> and... Um, then we met in ORT International, I had an iced coffee and boarded El Al for, um, for Tel Aviv. And what followed was 10 days of, oh, absolutely lifetime uh, experience, visit, um, talks at various places, 
And um, it was the most extraordinary visit. It is something I'll never forget. And, of course, um, the, the friends I made then, um, I have maintained contact with. And, of course, you, Sue, and um, I have now got to know your whole family. Um, and I'd just like to mention, while I'm on the go here, that people who made that all possible were my visit um, was Telfred, um, along with Peter and Jeannie Bailey, uh, Ron and, and Jill Hyde, uh, Joel and Beryl Klotnik, and they uh, I remain in contact with them all. Um, absolutely glorious people, and I'd be so much the poorer if I'd not done that and not met them. And I think that's why I called it Comforting Connections, because I must admit, Phil, since that time, you, Peter, and I have been in constant contact with each other. Um, I call you my encyclopedia, because I go to you for any info that I need about South Africa or RAF or anything else. You're my encyclopedia here. And Peter is my encyclopedia in Israel, so I get updated news from the two of you all the time. And, you know, <laughs> I must just tell you that um, Philip is uh, uh, has served as managing and executive director of the General Smuts Foundation, as well as the national president of the South African Air Force Association and vice chairman of the Council of Military Veterans Organization, of South Africa. He was last on my program uh, last year, in this exactly a year ago, can you believe it, Phil? And yeah, at the time, uh, Shira was here, my daughter Shira from Israel, as yeah. and Philip knows her well, and her husband. And when I sent a message to Shira to say that you were going to be on the program today, she says, yay, cousin, and from Eli Sheva, it was yay, Uncle Phil. So there you go. <laughs> I think that is fantastic, and I'll never forget um, that we had a get together at Shira and Jordan's home um, before Ellie uh, arrived, and um, Jordan went to great lengths to go and buy me Heineken beer. I'll never forget that. Okay. Um, and so, much love to uh, to Jordan and Shira, and my my littlest cousin Ellie. But I would just like to just add a few things when you talk about connections here, which um, I think probably illustrate your, your point very well. The first is that um, I have family in Brisbane, um, and I am making very concerted efforts, um, as, as is my son and, and my wife, um, to go to, to Australia. And one of our mutual friends... Um, after he left South Africa, went to Australia before um, making Aaliyah, um, and by the name of Rob Hyde. Now, Rob um, has certain interests in Australia, and he is moving heaven and earth um, to facilitate, if I could put it that way, um, mm-hmm. a transition to Australia, using the connections and the uh, institutions he has in place there. Um, and I think that is just such an extraordinary gesture. Um, yeah, it, it just really humbles me totally. And the other one I, I wish to mention is that due to my visit uh, to, uh, to Israel and the connections I have there, 
my activities there within 14 days and my military veteran activities here, I have got to know far better an utter gentleman living in Pretoria by the name of Ivan Siv, known to everybody as Chips. And he is what my father would have called a firestone. He's just get up and go all the time. He's an architect. Uh, he has been the mainstay of the Jewish Ex Service League in Pretoria for probably as many years as I've been alive. He's a South African Air Force World War II veteran. I speak in the correction, but I think he's 94 years old and he is, he, he looks like he's 65 and behaves mm-hmm. like he's 65. And we now have, when, when our government allows us to, and we have get together for some liquid nourishment at the Air Force Bar, at Air Force Base, Swanpok. <laughs> um, and Chips was the architect who designed the Air Force Command Post for the South African Air Force. Um, and the two uh-huh. South Africans who were involved was Brigadier, uh, uh, was Brigadier General John Boardman and mm-hmm. Pete Ruiz, both of whom I knew um, and have known for two or three decades. So there's another little connection that just came about providence all out and, and what a valuable and heartwarming and in fact valuable uh, gratifying connection that is. Well, you know, Einstein said God doesn't play a dice. And so, you know, I take that to mean that all these connections, whatever happens in our lives, uh, are meant to be happening. Um, uh, We're going to advert, and then I'll be back with you, Phil. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm back with uh, my my cousin, Philip Bayer's, and we're talking about the comfort in connection. And he was saying how um, uh, one of his connections in Israel is actually Rob Hyde is helping him to try and get to Australia. Tell me why you want to get to Australia, Phil. So you're the, the primary reason um, above all others is that my daughter, my son-in-law, and my grandson, uh, live in just north of Brisbane and where my son-in-law Paul flies for, uh, for Qantas. Um, which is, which is all good and fantastic, but the, the missing, I, my, my grandson is now five. Aww. And uh, I miss him so much it actually causes me physical pain. Mm-hmm. It really does. It's, and I don't want him to grow up without me being able to watch and see and help. And I think it's also important that he knows um, the South African history and knows words like Luxem and Kutak and that sort of thing, um, the Burevors, and you know, and that and that, that it's a Brian, not a Barbie, um, <laughs> and things like that. So that's that's the overwhelming reason. Um, beyond that, um, I, I must be honest, um, I have lost faith in our government. Um, I don't think they're in control. I don't think they've been in control for a quarter of a century, sadly. Um, but all these chickens are, I believe, coming home to roost. Which is actually very really sad if you think that my family first came to this country in, in 1691, I think it was. Um, not that much later than, um, than the infamous in these days, Jan van Riebeck. Um, 
And I'd, if it wasn't for my family in Australia, I'd probably whether it's art, but that would that would toss the um, that would swing the balance. So the fact that they are there, uh, and are not so much like to be part of their lives, which which at the moment I'm not, other than FaceTime every day and and so on. And I think you talk for so many people. You certainly speak for me. You speak for Leon. You speak to many of my friends who I know are listening in today, uh, who've got children scattered across the world. It's, I think this time especially has made it incredibly difficult. But you also had a home invasion, didn't you, Phil, at one stage? Which also uh, knocked hell out of you, hey? Uh, Confidence-wise. Um, this goes back, it's now six years ago. We, we lived on a property, uh, quite a sizable property. It was about 18 hectares, uh, right adjacent and abutting the Smuts House property in, in Irene. And we came home one Friday evening at 10 o'clock, um, and they were waiting for us. And a gang of five, uh, guns and knives, and uh, they left at quarter to one the following morning, having cleaned, uh, two of our cars having cleaned the house up. Um, were you with your family at the time, your daughter as my, well? Yeah, my my um, my wife, my daughter, my son-in-law, my my son was at that stage flying in Mozambique, so he mercifully avoided this. But the, just the, the, the way in which it, it happens, they, they take the girls away from you. So my son-in-law and I were lying on our stomach with our hands and ankles bound. And you don't know what's happened to your wife and your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, they then, you know, and, and you've got a gun against your head or a knife against your neck all the time. Um, the whole time of, of the year. Um, I had this point on the robbery. Home invasion sounds nice. Home invasion to me implies you go down to the shops to buy some at times and when you come back there's a family that's moved in. Um, mm-hmm. this, this was to me a, a, a little, you know, a lot stronger than that. Um, and thank heavens nobody was hurt. They never touched any one of us, but they threatened. They threatened to rape my wife. They threatened to rape my daughter. Um, and, it's funny, you move into another dimension, your, your whole being uh, moves into another dimension. It's, it's, it's um, I was, was I, was I, would you scared? say I you try, would you say you almost self transcend what is happening? Yes, I think you do. I think there's, there's almost like a natural anesthetic that kicks in, uh, in my case. Um, so you, you, you're able to think of it's almost like you've had maybe a, a couple of tipples too many and you're sort of like divorced from the proceedings in, in, in a mental way. Um, but what is even more terrifying, in fact, was that after this was all over, we went we went for counselling. Um, Paul, my son-in-law, was flying for SA Express at the time and um, they told him they're not going to have a pilot having a meltdown on the flight deck. So they financed... Um, and insisted, in fact, that you underwent counselling. I'm not sure how much good it was, but basically it was um, an analysis of what happened that that one goes through. But then the then chairman of the Girls Smith Foundation was a charming, delightful gentleman by the name of Adrian Toms, who subsequently has left us due to a coronary. But um, he put me, he got a guy to find me, and this fellow runs um, 
a recovery operation where they go in to high-risk areas and recover stolen items. And if you listen to my story, you asked what had happened, and I told him exactly. And he said, okay, were the, were the five people? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, did they whisper rather than talk out loud? I said, yes, they did. And he says, well, okay, he knows the gang. It's, um, it's an, an off-duty policeman. He runs uh-huh. the gang. Um, and he has four Mozambicans um, who do the, the carrying and the subduing of victims if necessary. And mm-hmm. the reason they whisper is that you won't detect an accent. If somebody's whispering, you, it's, it's very much more difficult to detect an accent. And mm-hmm. the English, the English that they used was, uh, it wasn't their first language for, for many of us. It isn't that, um, if you moved, um, the guy would stick the knife, point the knife into your neck and he'd say, sleep, sleep. Now, if it was a South African, the South African would have said, left or last or don't move or something like that. But this uh-huh. wasn't in the guy's vocabulary. So all he could say was sleep. So uh-huh. the advice of this guy was, claim from insurance, put it behind you if you can and move on. You are never going to catch them because he's one of the, the leader of the gang, being a policeman. Um, his, his, his uh, colleagues are never going to keep him up. Um, you know, and he said that this, this, this guy told me as well that at the time, this is, as I say, six years ago, um, there were then 20 armed, residential armed robberies in Gauteng per day, and mm. 80% of them were carried out by policemen. Oh, no. And so, I don't know what the situation is like. I don't, just going back to that for a moment, you, you said, you, you know, somehow you go into a different dimension in yeah. order to cope. What skills have you, did you learn from that experience that you've been able to take forward into your life and that your wife and daughter and son-in-law have also been able to? So, I, I, I think from my perspective, um, what I, what I am now is a lot more nervous still today. If I hear a, a strange noise, I'm likely to look around. Um, I was walking back from from gym some months ago, uh, maybe a year ago, and I walked through a subway under the, the N1 highway, and there were footsteps behind me, so I turned around and had a look, and there were three guys walking along the pavement under the subway, and so I said, well, I'm not going to be taking any of this. I had pepper spray, but against three, that's a bit difficult. So... Mm-hmm. I jogged to the end of the uh, to the, uh, the end of the subway back into Sunlight, and the, the, then I sort of started. And the guys caught caught me, and I was caught up to me, and I was waiting, you know, to pull out my pepper spray and go about my business. And it, and it turned out that the three guys were all from the gym I just left, and I knew them all. So it wasn't quite why after having spent an hour in the gym that I feel a need to run. So I said, no, I was just, you know, keeping the muscles, keeping the muscles on the go. No, I couldn't tell them that I was getting you guys. Okay? But uh, I think also there's, there are, there are, um, inherent in my case, certainly, there are, uh, latent prejudices, prejudices that, that, that came from that. Um, um, the lack of trust possibly, but by the same token, a greater degree of appreciation for people who have been through similar, uh, similar events or occurrences and maybe were not 
after as lucky as, as we all were and were hurt, um, because gratuitous violence is, is what, as we know, um, one of the, the hallmarks of, of, of these types of robberies, and they will hurt you just, just for fun. Not necessarily, there won't be a reason for it, you won't be resisting, but they'll hurt you anyway. And luckily, luckily, we, um, we avoided that. But um, I, I, I think you take on a different perspective and you, you maybe just look at things a little differently. Mm. Um, maybe with a little more tolerance in certain instances and a little less tolerance in others. Do you think that's one of the reasons why your daughter actually left? I think it, uh, I think it made it very much easier. Um, yeah. It's, when, when this all happened, um, I think there were, there was a, uh, the, the preparatory moves were a foot for that, for to happen. Um, and there were talks of being, uh, uh, there were really talks long ago, but it had to be some while away from, from actually taking place. And I think that it was easier for them to make the decision. Um, than it might otherwise have been, regardless of the economic and uh, circumstances here you know, with, with uh, bailouts and the longevity or the long-term future of SA Express, uh, which as a part of SAA um, wasn't looking stable then already, as we know. And so I think it's made it easier for them. Um, and and there's, there's a great relief, uh, if one can put it that way, of being able to, um, one evening, for example, my, my grandson wasn't particularly keen on having to suffer. So I said, so I thought I'd bribe him. We actually did bribe us in our family. Um, <laughs> and I said, if you, you know, if you, if you eat your supper, um, then I will take you and we'll go to McDonald's and buy a soft serve ice cream. And so the, the supper disappeared quite quickly after that. And I put him in his pram. He would have been three and a half at that stage. Um, put him in his pram, and off he went to McDonald's. And it was like you know, seven o'clock at night. Um, his mother was worried about him going to bed, and I said, "We need to it. I've made an obligation, and I've made a commitment. I need to uh, to fill it." Um, and you walk around um, the suburbs. In, in, you know, in northern Brisbane, they live in a place called, called Redcliffe, which is where the BGs come from in Sydney. And you walk around, and it's pitch dark, and you don't have pepper spray, you don't have a, a 455 where you your hip, um, and you don't feel any threat. Nobody bothers about you at all. And we've, we've forgotten that in this country. You know, now, just, I think it's, it's, for all of us who have experienced uh, hijackings, um, hold-ups, whatever it might be, I think we do remain hyper-vigilant. And, you know, uh, Shira on, on uh, Shabbos, she told Leon after Shabbos that she'd got home like uh, at 12 o'clock. And I said to him, what do you mean? They walked home with Ellie at 12 o'clock. And then I thought, well, of course they did, you know. <laughs> Strange, I mean, huh? we, we take it for granted that you don't do it, you know. But, <laughs> you know, Phil, I now wanted to just say something. Now, your your uh, grandmother, um, Omar Smuts, my mom, I was reading, a, 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 um, Shira had taped something from my mom about family history. And one of the things my mom actually said was that um, 
Omar Smuts was was in the concentration, the British concentration camp. She was the she. Um, is that right? Correct, correct. In Peter and yeah. that she was pregnant. She was pregnant with twins at the time. And yes. uh, and and my mom was saying on this tape to Shira that. You know, she lost them. But my mom said what she so admired about Omar Smuts was that Uncle Yanni, her son, uh, Yanni, when he wanted to marry my aunt, uh, Daphne, um, she accepted it. She might have felt differently, but she was very, very angry with the British because of the concentration camps, which you can really, uh, I mean, we can't even begin to understand. But... Um, my mom was saying that she, uh, my, my my grandfather, my opa, had fought for the British uh, against the Boers, and here your your grandmother had been in the concentration camp, and yet there was an element of forgiveness in her, um, you know, especially when when General Smuts was so involved with Churchill eventually, and um, and. and you know, getting, just reconciling the British and the Boers really, which caused a lot of hatred in our, in our country for him. But my mom actually specifically mentioned Omar Smuts and her forgiving ways. So I suppose it's something we can all learn from your Omar Smuts. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Omar Smuts was a lot slower to, uh, to forgive than, than the Obas was. Um, the after the uh, 1902 when the Boer War ended, um, the Obas fairly quickly set about um, befriending um, even even the, the very much hated Kitchener, um, because Kitchener um, was ultimately responsible for the uh, for the scorched earth policy and, and the concentration camps. And as we know, uh, 28,000 Boer women, children, and elderly died in those. And what one often doesn't remember is that a similar number of black South Africans died, died during that period, also at the hands of the British. Mm, um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it is, uh, and, and that of course was our politics in, uh, in, in South Africa from '48 until '94. Uh, the black, the black losses were not paramount and uh, not top of their priority list, mm. um, whereas the poor women and children certainly were. Um, but the Obas set about reconciling because he wanted to achieve union. He wanted self-government, a government, um, and also to achieve union, which, as we know, came about in 1910. Omar was a lot slower to to forgive, um, but it happened with time. Um, it, 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 she, she wasn't a prejudicial person. She just had this. Um, this, I, I, I think. Resentment, possibly, because of the um, the concentration camps, and her circumstances were a lot easier than the, major, the vast, vast majority, uh, majority of of Boers uh, in the concentration camps. But she was given a little house in uh, in Pietermaritzburg, but she was still subject to weekly uh, inspections by the British and so on. And I, I took her a lot longer, but she wasn't the person who was any inherent prejudices. So I, I think that with the passage of time, 
uh, took longer than the Obos, but I, uh, I would suggest that in the, in the 20s or 30s, um, she would have reconciled herself to the fact that um, you know, it's time to move on and jump. Um, it's in fact is self, self-destructive. Uh, yes. We're going to add... We do do ourselves more harm. harm. You're quite right. We're just going to advert. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, I'm back with Philip Bayers, and we were talking about his grandmother. And I wanted to tell you a few other things about your grandmother, Phil. Um, my mom was saying, I'm just looking for, I wrote it down, but one of the other things, when, when my... Uh, when Uncle Yanni and Auntie Daphne got married, uh, my mom was a, a flower girl. She was she was younger, and um, it was in Benoni, and it was on their tennis court. And apparently, it was there was a lot of fancy people being invited and what have you. And my mom and uh, I mean my Omar and your Omar were having none of it. They didn't want all this fuss and bother. And apparently they didn't want all the security that was surrounding the house and everything. And the two of them had to be really sort of coaxed into accepting that this was going to be a society wedding and they better just accept it. And I found that quite amusing because knowing my Omar, she couldn't have given a damn about anybody else who ever was coming. <laughs> And your Omar was the same. My mom tells the story. Well, actually, Auntie Daphne tells the story that when the king and queen and their children, um, Princess Margaret and, and Princess Elizabeth, came to South Africa, I think that was in 1948, um, the Omar insisted on serving tea on the, the stoop at the house in Irene, and that they wanted to fix it up. People wanted to fix it up and everything for the, the royal's arrival. And uh, uh, Omar would have none of it. So they, they had tea on the stoop. And uh, and General Smuts had his grandchildren sitting on his lap and what have you with him. And apparently, um, I think it was the, the king actually mentioned, um, or was it um, in one of the books written about the Obos, they actually said how... Uh, he he was just such a humble man and so simple. And one of the things my mom also said to Shira was that right up to the house, and I'm sure it's today is the same thing, um, because he he was a botanist and he liked the the grasses, the wild grasses, to grow right up to the house. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Um, the the Obos was, was uh, in fact, an expert in African grasses, and the three, he discovered three, um, the best known of which is called, uh, was called Digiteria smithii, um, best, and it's been reclassified now, so uh, that no longer stands, but it is known to farmers across the country as smutsfingergras, smutsfingergras, and it's a long, tall, uh, single-stem grass, which has sort of like tendrils coming up the top like fingers, um, but he, he, he loved his grass, he loved his botany, but absolutely right, he, he liked wild, liked the felt up to the front door. And what happened <laughs> on one of these... Uh, and he certainly wasn't going to have that cut for the king. No, no, absolutely not. 
what did happen uh, before the king and king were here, the royal party, um, on one of his, when he was away uh, during the Second World War, um, my grandmother, uh, Santos, the son of Johanna, the Obas and Omar's eldest child, um, decided that she was going to put cuckoo, cuckoo grass, make a lawn in front of the house, um, yeah. <laughs> and this, this was uh, duly took place, and when the Obas returned, he was aghast and quite somewhat annoyed that uh, his, his grasses no longer went to the front door, and he and asked my grandmother, he said, now, why on earth did you do this? He said, no, the children needed somewhere to play. And the Obar said, ah, he never thought of that, and the grass stayed. Um, and it is still there today. It battled tremendously to keep it on the go, because there's a lot of shade, and the few doesn't like shade, so he used the green grass, and then he got to say, yeah, I, in fact, so I have um video recording somewhere which I need to digitize of the, there's a very well known photograph of the, uh, the king and queen, Omar sitting between them and the princesses behind them um, and taken on, on that lawn in front of the big house and the video that I have which was taken from 16mm film um, shows them there's no sound unfortunately but shows the, the five of them arranging one another and themselves into how they wanted to sit or to pose for the photograph <laughs> and the king flapping his arms and the queen, uh, well, the queen mother as we would know, had, uh, flapping her arms and almost just sitting down and the two princesses dropping for positions behind them. It's all quite interesting. <laughs> it actually is fascinating to tell you the truth. But you know, um, I think that was one of the, the things that my mom really respected about uh, generals smuts as well because she also told the story in this tape that um general smith that uncle yanni it was uh it was uh oh no the first thing that she said was um my mom's first husband was killed right at the beginning of the war up at gibraltar he was also a pilot and um and he was reported missing um presumed dead but they didn't know and General Smuts actually uh, said to my uncle, you know, he would try and find out as much as he could about it. And seven months later, they reported that planes had been seen. Um, they weren't sure if it was friendly um, uh, aircraft fire or enemy aircraft fire, but it had downed a lot of the, the pilots at the time. And then again... Um, when my uncle Neil Webster was up at City Rose, and um, they they were, had escaped, and they were trying to crawl across the desert, and the amazing thing is that my grandfather woke up. They had been told that he was that he was also reported missing, presumed captured, but they didn't know if he was alive or not. And my grandfather woke up one morning and. Uh, he said to my grandmother that his mom, who had been dead for years, had come to him during the night to say that Neil uh, is alive, needs help, but he is alive. And uh, so in the morning, um, my grandfather phoned General Smuts and told him that his mom had come and your, your grandfather was not at all surprised by that that uh, a woman who had been dead for ages had come to talk to her son. And he said, you know, she said that Neil is alive still, uh, but he's in danger. 
and General Smuts actually uh, sent out a whole lot of jeeps into the desert to go and search for any remaining pe- uh, of, their, uh, of um, the troops who might have escaped. And the story goes, whether it's ur- urban legend in our family or not, I don't know, but Uncle Yanni was one of the people on the jeeps that was sent out and uh, he was the one who found his brother-in-law, Neil. So it was Neil. I sent you a photo today of, of Neil and um, Yanni together. And so that was the story that they actually uh, they found each other in the desert. So that was your grandfather helping out my mother uh, with her brother and and also again with them with her first husband. I hadn't heard that, Sue. That that is uh, that's absolutely fascinating. I think Elba's really been um, very accepting of, of a, a, shall we call it a paranormal intervention? Yes. Um, and I think his 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 thought processes and the plans on which he uh, thought would have made that for him very plausible. And I think the sort of thing that um, to him would have been well worth investigating. He didn't only deal in facts. He had a <clears throat> deal. Um, the thoughts which transcended in many respects what what our capabilities are, I think, and um, that would have been very possible. That's a fascinating story. I love that. Mm, it was a fascinating story. And then years later when my mom actually was going overseas to go and uh, marry my father, um, she there she was on a, on a ship and the ship was taken. They, they got to Cairo, I think, and the ship was taken for troops. So they were stuck in Cairo for three months. And once again, they, nobody knew where they were. And your grandfather stepped in and uh, again told my grandfather not to worry that my mother was being very well taken care of by a whole lot of the troops <laughs> who were actually in Cairo. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I don't know, but we're going to add break. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I've been speaking to Philip Vales, my 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 tenister, and we were going to be talking about the Royal Air Force, but I think we're actually running out of time already. I just wanted to say that your grandfather was actually the founder um, of the Royal Air Force, and um, there's a big statue of him at Piccadilly. Um, at, at the Royal Air Force Club. But I just wanted to read you this that I also found in my dad's uh, papers, Phil. It says, uh, 39 years ago tonight, I was flying a bomber over the English Channel with a bomb airman under instructions from the navigator pushing out thousands of strips of tinfoil, pretending we were an invasion force, me and about another 40 aircraft. Tonight is more peaceful, less exciting. That was written to my two sons by my father so many years ago. My and, uh, and your, your, um, your grandfather, my father often spoke about, uh, General Smuts because of, of his involvement with the RAF. And Phil, we're going to actually have to do a full program on that. I also just want to say that if anyone wants to read something that Philip wrote, it's called Anti-Semitism, Why? And the Lay of the Land, which is particularly good. 
and, and um, the lay of the land was written by Peter Bailey, and Philip answered it. And uh, where would they find that um, article, Phil, the anti-Semitism, why? See, this, uh, um, it, it was in the Jerusalem Report as well. Um, but I, I think if you go and, uh, if you Google search lay of the land, Dave Kaplan, um, also um, a, a sapper who made Aliyah, um, mm-hmm. it, it should be there. If, if not, um, you know, um, I, I, I'm happy to send out copies who would do that with the greatest of pleasure. But just if, if I can, just make a, to support you, if there's another, if people were to Google Peter Bailey books, um, they will come across some remarkable weekly blogs that Peter writes. Um, one yesterday or the day before was all about the, uh, the history of, of Israel and how it came to you, but going back down um, to many years before BCE. Um, and there's also one previously about the Golan Heights, which I've never seen before, and I didn't realize that the Golan Heights had such a level of development. But it's, um, if they Google get lay of the land, they'll find that. That is just a, a some music, which, okay, great. Uh, um, um, Phil, we're going to have to end. We actually, Vera Lynn, the the air for the the forces darling, died this this week, last week actually, and we are going to be ending with a song that she wrote. I still remember my parents singing this song. Um, Phil, we're going to have to get together again. I will be in contact with you after the program. Wonderful, Sue. Thank you so much and love to all my friends around the world, Israel, Sydney, um, Pretoria, Joburg, everywhere.